as one of the apostles said, who is adequate for things like these. But by the grace of God, we are who we are. And I'm thankful that it's not by what I learn. It is what the Lord has taught me and us. And hopefully that's what's going to come out today. Um, But before I start on uh, sharing about God's word with you, let me tell you a little bit of something about myself, and it's gonna and it's gonna connect to what we are going to be talking this morning. If if you know me, I'm known as a bit of a blabbermouth. I like to talk, I like to speak, I like to talk about things I know and things I don't know, and I will let you know that I want to know, but I really don't know what I'm talking about. But one of the things I really like to talk about when I have it is good news, um, especially hard when it's really, really good news and the other person does not want me to tell you, especially if someone is pregnant, uh, they told me the name, or someone's dating someone, like, don't tell anybody yet. Like, just I'm like, what are you trying me to tell? This is good news. Like, I have to share it with everyone. I remember when I got engaged, uh, it was extremely hard for me not to put that we were engaged, Esther and I were engaged at Facebook. Esther told me, before you put you got to call the parents first. You got to tell the most important people in your life personally. But they're going to know. They're going to know. I have to share that to the world. And eventually I did, but to Esther's better judgment, I... I think, I mean, thinking Esther's better judgment, I did follow her advice. But it's not interesting about good news in itself. You cannot enjoy good news apart from sharing it. And in the sharing of the good news, there is joy. The joy is actually not complete if you don't share that good news. If you're, for those who are expecting here, and when you finally hear that news that you are expecting, and you first heard that, you can't just keep it to yourself. I mean, it's going to come out eventually, but it, you have to share that with everyone. And if, if somebody was sick for a long, long time, and they just got healed, they, they got better, and you have to share that when you hear that remission from cancer or or they're coming out of their, uh, someone got into an accident and they got better. I mean, you got to share that with everyone. And even worldwide, um, there's bad news everywhere. But when good news happens, it spreads like wildfire. Um, not to get too political here, but remember when uh, Osama bin Laden was finally uh, assassinated. He was finally killed by our special forces we rejoiced as a nation. And not just as a nation, as a world. That someone who is a worker of evil has finally been brought to justice. Now, of course, yes, we are saddened that he didn't come to know the Lord before uh, he took the Lord took him, but justice was served. And when justice is served, that's good news. And this good news, this spreading of good news, is actually very central to the Christian faith. It is very central to the Christian faith. In fact, the four books of the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, are called Gospels, which means good news. 
And that's why we've been studying the good news brought to us by the writer Luke for the past few uh, months now, actually, a year, if I'm not mistaken. And it's the good news about Jesus Christ. And the good news, why he came, what he did when he came, and what does it mean for us. Which leads us to today's passage. Unfortunately, it's not in Luke, but it's also written by Luke. We are here in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts actually acts at, well, that's redundant. Uh, It is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. In many ways, you can't read Luke and then not go into Acts. Both of these letters, these stories come together. It's a natural progression. And I have to apologize in many ways that I will be spoiling a lot of things from Luke. Because Luke starts with the very big spoiler alert. Jesus dies. And not only does Jesus die, he comes back from the dead. Sorry, I spoiled that. But that's, that's where we're heading to in Luke. But we are here in Luke chapter 1. I mean, Acts chapter 1. And we are standing right after the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we will uh, start at verse 1. And uh, we will hopefully will go to verse 12. So let me read from chapters 1, verses 1 to 12. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they, the disciples, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you. To know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So if there is nothing else that you learn from uh, the, the passage today, I want you to come out with this main point. So here's the main point. It's going to undergird everything we're going to talk about this morning. Because Christ's resurrection and ascension has secured for us the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be his witnesses, let's go be witnesses. Because Christ's resurrection and ascension has secured for us the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, let's go be witnesses. In many ways, this uh, passage and this exhortation is kind of directed to Christians because it's talking about witnessing about the truth that is in them. But for those who come here, you may not believe uh, in Jesus. You may not believe that what the Bible is telling is true. I hope that you come out from here feeling welcomed. Uh, and I would like you to see that this is what Christianity is all about. It's not about exactly um, how much we do good, but it's actually what we're supposed to do. This is the main purpose of why we are here. So verses 1 to 3, this sets us right smack after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note that after Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, he didn't automatically leave this earth. He did a farewell tour of 40 days. Um, he... He didn't, it didn't mean that he was here all the time during those 40 days, not that he was hanging out with his disciples all those time. But it did mean that during those 40 days, Jesus would reveal himself to his disciples, his family members. Uh, Paul even tells us that there was a time where he appeared to a group of 500 people. And during the time of Paul's writing, many of them were still alive. And the way that Luke tells us he appeared to them, presented to them alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. The Bible tells us convincing proofs. And it's, it's fair. If somebody came back from the dead and somebody tells you this person that was dead, really dead, came back again from the dead. And of course, being rational people that we are, Look at him, it's like, yeah, 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 right. Came back from the dead. Who does that? That's why Jesus took 40 days. And many convincing proofs. We actually read in the end of Luke that he ate fish. Ghosts don't eat fish, last time I checked. But Jesus did. He ate broiled fish. I don't have to create a theology of broiled fish right now, but it just shows that this Jesus, who was dead, really did come back from the dead. There is no more shadow of a doubt. Even if the disciples wanted to disbelieve, they could not, because they saw Jesus eating their lunch that day. For 40 days. And Jesus did not leave that 40 days just empty and just showing up and, and showing, hey guys, I'm alive. He actually took that time to teach them, to remind them of why he came, what he did to do, and what he's going to do. And he actually tells us in, in Luke, the end of Luke 24 that the Old Testament, all of what the Bible has been telling us up to that point is pointing towards Jesus himself. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and Jesus is coming back from the dead. And because Jesus did live the life that God has told him to do, he obeyed for us perfectly God's law, and he proved that he was the Son of God by many convincing proofs of signs and wonders. He died the death that we deserve, paying the penalty for our sins on the cross, and then coming back from the dead. 
affirming all the things that he did as true. And now the good news for us is there is now repentance and forgiveness of sin. The main thing that separates us from God and his love is our sin. And because Jesus has done all that, from what we can read from Luke, and the Old Testament is pointing towards that, we have now repentance and forgiveness of sin. Sin is dealt with forever. And this is a news that does not only stay with those who have seen it and heard for themselves. This is good news. And like we've talked about, when good news happens, we got to talk about it. And Jesus tells them, Behold, I am sending you out. And actually, what was promised by my Father upon you? So the Holy Spirit comes, but repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And actually, verses 4 and 5 is a recap of that. And you see here, while staying with them, he ordered not them to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. Now, that recap seems uh, a bit, bit summarized, but really what it points us to is the very importance of the, what the Holy Spirit means in this good news. Okay? The Holy Spirit is central and essential to gospel ministry. In other words, to do what Jesus tells us to do, we need the Holy Spirit. And in fact, it's not possible to do. You can't do you, you won't even want to do the things that God in Jesus Christ tells us to do apart from the Holy Spirit. And that's why we read John 16 verses 4 to 15 this morning. It's Jesus telling them what's going to happen after he dies. He will leave them. Uh, it, was, it was said during his final days on earth. He, he told his disciples that one day he will leave them. He will no longer be with them in this earth physically but Jesus tells them that it is a good thing it is a good thing that he is leaving because if he doesn't leave the advocate the comforter the helper does not come and what does this advocate do for us what does this helper do for us uh, first he will convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment and which, which means that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us of our sin. He will convict the world concerning sin and judgment. That means if the reason why we know, those who are Christians here, know that we have sinned against God and that we need Jesus, is simply because the Holy Spirit has come upon us. We would not recognize that apart from the Holy Spirit telling us that we are in judgment. We are convicted by this. 
It's interesting too that Jesus says, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them now. But he, when the spirit of truth comes, when the advocate comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of himself, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will proclaim to you the things to come. In other words, what we know of God, what we know about what God wants us to do is because the Holy Spirit makes us see what we need to learn, what we need to hear. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we won't know what truth is. We won't know what God's truth is. But because He has come, the ability to know the truth, the ability to know God's will for your life and my life is possible. It's here. We can know the truth. And not only can we know the truth, He actively, the Holy Spirit actively tells us what we should do. He bears witness in our hearts. And everything that He has received from the Son, He gives to us. Now, there, that's a very uh, uh, big theological truth here, so let's take it step by step. Um, whatever the Father has, the truth, the blessings, the glory the Father has, in some way, He gives to the Son. So that's the Son's, that's Jesus' ownership. And whatever the Son owns, He gives to the Holy Spirit. Okay, uh, so so far Trinity makes sense. God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, all the all the persons in the Trinity working together. What the Father owns, the Son owns, the Spirit owns, vice versa. Great, but the big mystery here is that whatever the Son has, the Spirit has, and what the Spirit has is declared to us. Think about that. The fullness. I mean, not everything that we know about God, I mean, there's, we can't exhaust everything about God, but what is true about God, what we can know about God, is ours. The Holy Spirit reveals the fullness of who God is to our lives. And, G, and, it, and it takes the leaving of Jesus for that to happen. But it's interesting to know that this, this, this truth that the Spirit coming is something new. Um, it's not exactly the same as when the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament comes upon uh, special people. If you read your Old Testament, there are times when the Holy Spirit comes to certain people. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon Samson, and Samson kills a lion, defeats the Philistines. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon the prophets, and the prophets tell about the future. They tell about what God wants them to do. Sometimes the Holy Spirit comes upon the king, and the king exercises God's rule on the earth. But not everybody. Not everybody had the chance to have the Holy Spirit. But now the Holy Spirit is coming. At this point when Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is coming, and everyone has the opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit. But then we come to the disciples, and they hear this amazing truth. That, okay, the Holy Spirit is coming. He's going to reveal to us this truth. He's going to convict the world of sin. And because the disciples, being what they are, they still kind of miss the point. 
uh, if you've been following around Luke, our study of Luke, one of the things that we learn about the disciples is that they are normal people. And sometimes normal people miss the point uh, entirely. They say here, so when they had come together, so Jesus is telling them about what his death, life, and resurrection means, and how the Old Testament points to him, and how the Holy Spirit is all coming down. They ask him, so, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, if we just take that at face value, that seems kind of stupid. It seems to be missing the point. But before we get too harsh on the disciples here, the question really is not that stupid. It's actually a logical question to ask. Because in the Old Testament, especially in Ezekiel 36, 37, and Jeremiah 31, hopefully, unfortunately, we don't have time to uh, delve into the meat of those passages, but what they're telling us that a sign of the new promise, the new covenant that Yahweh, God, is making to the people of Israel is signified by the coming of the Holy Spirit. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 27, I will give my spirit, this is, into your inner parts, and I will make it so that you will go in my rules, and that my regulations you will remember, and you will do them. Ezekiel 37, 14 says, And I will put my breath into you so that you may live, and cause you to know, to rest on your soil, and you will know that I am Yahweh, have spoken, I have spoken, and I will act, declares Yahweh. And Jeremiah 31 says that he will write his laws into their hearts and minds. So this fuller revelation of the Holy Spirit coming down signifies a restoration of Israel to prominence. And the Bible tells us from the Old Testament, prominence for Israel, Israel glorified, is just a means of showing there is now a right relationship with God. That Israel is now put into a right relationship with God. There is no more disobedience, murmurings, grumbling. Nobody will feign ignorance of what God tells them to do because Israel finally knows who her God is. So the faithful Jewish person who reads the scriptures and now comes upon Jesus' big news that I have died, I have come back from the dead, and now I am leaving, bringing the Holy Spirit here. He will hear that, says, oh my gosh, the new covenant, it's here. It's, it's here. So when is it, Lord? When, when, when is the full restoration of Israel going to come? Because you told us the Holy Spirit is coming, right, Lord? The Holy Spirit is coming. Is this it? Is this the time? And Jesus' response is, as Jesus is always wont to do in, in the Gospels, it kind of sidesteps the question. He doesn't call this question stupid. He doesn't uh, say that the question is theologically wrong. It's actually a good question to ask. But Jesus points to the greater truth. He says here, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In, in other words, 
that's that's a problem that God has to worry about. That's not your problem to worry about. Let God do what he needs to do, and you don't have to worry about what God is doing. All you have to do is what I've told you to do. As the Old Testament actually says, the secret, the secret things of God are His, and the revealed truths are ours. And in many ways, this is kind of a hard, question, hard answer to take, because there are times where we want to know. What does God want us to do in our lives? What is God's will for me? What is God's plan for me? Um, so, and many times we want to put God in our own timeline that we, we want him to be under our time frame. Okay, God, you promised that you're going to do this for me. Um, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta come now and, and do what, I, what you told me that you, you were going to do, right? Or, I mean, it's time now, right? I mean, I'm, it's, it's hard now. You're going to come now, right? But really... What this teaches us is that part of the gospel ministry that God calls us to do is just trust in Him and His promises. Trust in God and His promises. And in many ways, you see here that actually God has fulfilled many of His promises to them. They don't need to worry about when Israel is going to be restored. Israel will be restored. Why? Because Jesus came, died, and came back to life again. And now the Holy Spirit is coming. They don't need to worry about when. It will happen. We don't need, in, a, in, a, in our context, we don't need to worry when Jesus Christ is coming back. He is coming back. And because He is coming back, a lot of the promises that are connected to that big promise that Jesus Christ is coming back... It's going to happen. There will, be a, there will come the day when we don't need to worry about when it's going to happen or, or how, what is God's plan for our life. Because when you need to know, you will know. And there are many things that the Lord actually has revealed to us. And, and His promises are here and we can trust in what He has promised. So Jesus is merely just pointing them, don't worry about God's plan. What you know is enough. Just trust in what God has given you to know. So we come to verse eight. It's not. Uh, it's it's not very un. It's um, it's actually a very huge uh, summary of what God has in store for the church and for them. He says, here you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So the Holy Spirit comes and when the Holy Spirit comes, they will receive power to be God's witnesses. And it's going to start locally from Jerusalem and then going to go a bit bigger, Judea, and then their neighbor, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In many ways, this is actually a preview of what Acts is all about. It starts in Jerusalem, and in a few chapters, it goes to Judea, 
and then it goes through Samaria. And by the end of Acts, it has the gospel has reached to the city of Rome itself, which at that point is the end of the earth. That even those who are, you think are so far from God's grace, so far from uh, the salvation that God has given. I mean, it's, especially when you're powerful, you don't trust God. You don't, you don't believe in the promises of God because you can trust in your own strength and power. In that very city where that is God, the God is the emperor, the gospel has reached. So, anyways, this is a preview of Acts. But see here, you will be my witnesses. That's the ministry that the Lord is telling them to worry about. So don't worry about what God's going to do. But this is what God's going to do for you. And this is what's going to happen to you. You will be my witnesses. And the word witness here is not... um, uh, throwaway word that Jesus uses to just describe his disciples. It actually means is someone who has seen something and testifies to it. So it is a legal term that when you come to the uh, the witness stand, right? Remember in movies and if you watched uh, testimonies on TV, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you God? And you say, I do. This is, this is very, very similar to what it's talking about. You're under oath. We are under oath when you're called a witness. And as a witness, you're not supposed to withhold the truth. You're supposed to tell the whole truth. You're, you have seen it or you know relevant information about the case. And you have to testify. Tell the whole truth. And to the disciples, this means that what they have seen and heard for themselves, they have to tell everyone. Remember in Luke, uh, Jesus te- a lot of times Jesus tells the disciples, don't tell anybody yet. Um, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah yet. At this point, when Jesus' work is done, it's time. It is now time to go. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's your signal to go. And not just go. you got to go and tell everyone the truth. And what is this truth? The gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That because he has lived, died, and come back from the dead, there is now repentance and forgiveness of sins. We go back to the end of Luke. That's what he's telling us to testify. And this is a truth that they have seen and heard for themselves. Now, for the disciples, it means that they saw him die. They lived with the guy for many years. And then he died. Uh, he died. And then he comes back from the dead. And this is the, tr- and this is the truth that they need to share. <clears throat> And it's interesting, too, that the Bible calls us to be witnesses as well. Now, to be perfectly honest, I have not see, literally seen Jesus Christ crucified. I have not literally seen him come back from the dead. I was not born at that time. Uh, if I were, that would be very weird. And, and uh, that's the, another joke for another day. But... It's also 
true because it has happened to me. The power of the Holy Spirit reaches to this day. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And I know in myself, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm not great, but I know I have been changed by the Holy Spirit. I know this is true because it has changed my life. And many Christians here know that this is true, the, go- the good news is true, we testify to it because we have been changed. Once we were dead and alienated from God, once we hated God, once we... once. In the past, we loved to do sin. We didn't want anyone telling us what to do. But because the Holy Spirit has come and changed us, we know that it is true. Of course, there's room for uh, philosophical arguments, historical data, historical evidence to know that the, to help us uh, believe. But really, we believe because it happened to us. God changed us. And it's the truth that he saves us for. Um, We are saved to show people that this is the truth. And as he was saying this, as he was telling them the game plan of what's going to happen after he goes up to the Father, he's actually being taken up. So... You just imagine Jesus, as he was talking, he, you start to see a cloud forming underneath him, and then he levitates. And as he was telling this, they're like, wait, 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 what's, what's that cloud doing? Like, if Peter, James, and John were there, they would probably have sickness. Okay, wait, wait, weird cloud again? Because <laughs> we remember the transfiguration. The cloud comes in, this is my son, listen to him. And now another weird cloud appears. And forms underneath Jesus, and he is being taken up into heaven. Jesus' work on earth is done. It's bittersweet, actually. I mean, see that, man, Jesus is, is, is gone. But he was still, and, and naturally, the disciples would be like, oh my gosh, it's happening. And, and all the flood of emotion. Man. And then what happens? Two men show up out of nowhere and say, What are you looking up for? Duh! I mean, we see, we see Jesus being lifted up, and we're not supposed to look. We're not supposed to look at what's happening. What, what these two witnesses are telling us is that if you knew Jesus, this is what's going to happen. You should have known that this was going to happen. He did tell you he was leaving. I mean, he's leaving right now. Um, if you believe that Jesus did was born of a virgin, um, he actually was God in human flesh, that he lived a perfect life that we can't live, and he did miracles, and he made prophecies that came true. He did die the penalty, as to pay the penalty for our sins, and he did come back from the dead, and now he's leaving. We shouldn't even wonder. And that's what's going to happen. And there are many uh, things we can say about the ascension, and there's a lot of things that we can point out of what the ascension means for us. But the main thrust of what the ascension means at this passage is the Holy Spirit is really coming. Because he is leaving, he is leaving, that means the Holy Spirit will come. And this is going to happen. 
So what? So taking all that, what the dis, what the two angels that appear there, seemingly rebuking the disciples, it really means that. What are you waiting for? Go, go to Jerusalem, and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so, what did the disciples do? And seemingly, like for the first time in a long time, they finally get it and go. They go, they go and wait. They go and wait. They go to Jerusalem, like Jesus told them to, and waited till Jesus told them to. And when we get to Acts 2, the Holy Spirit finally comes. And the world was never the same. And when the Holy and the world was never the same because the good news was spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That good news really did spread, did it? So where are we in this time frame? When you think about it. So Jesus has left, the Holy Spirit has come, and now we're two thousand years later after Acts twenty eight. What does this mean? It actually means, very simple, we're not waiting anymore. We're not in that period of waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and, and have us go tell the good news. The good news has already come. The Holy Spirit has already come in Pentecost. There is no more waiting for us. The sign has come. And if you're a Christian, the new covenant applies to you. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit is telling you to go and share the good news. The kingdom of God is within you to share to all the people around us. The good news has changed your life. And that means the Holy Spirit is in you. So there is no more waiting for what God wants us to do. What God wants us to do is go and tell us people the good news of Jesus Christ. So we see here that the Holy Spirit is very central to our ministry and that he causes us to trust in God and his promises and that this ministry is to go. Jesus saves us to go. And when Jesus tells us to go, when the Holy Spirit has come and it has come, let's obey and go. Very simple. Because what Jesus has done for us is this, that he has secured for us the power of the Holy Spirit. Because he did come back from the dead and did go up to the Father, it is now time for us to go. And for the Christian, that means you don't need to wait anymore. What does the Holy Spirit want you to do? What want us to do? There's no more waiting. What does God want me to do for my life? It's very simple. Go and tell the good news. Tell the good news. And if you're if you are a, a not a unbeliever this morning, if you you don't believe what the Bible tells you to do, you don't, you just want to do your own thing. You just want to do what. You, you're going to be you. I'm a, I'm a do me. That's what people tell us to do nowadays. Uh, do you, I guess. This good news is for you as well. The reason why we are here is because we love you, wherever you are here. We love you and we want you to hear the good news. That even though you're doing you, 
is deserving of God's wrath and punishment, you don't have to suffer God's wrath and punishment anymore simply because Jesus Christ died for you and came back from the dead and has ascended. He has gone to the Father interceding for your behalf and securing for you the Holy Spirit to change your life, to make you more like Jesus. So this is good news. You don't have to worry about the future. You don't have to worry if your relationship is right with God because if you are in Jesus, you will be right with God. You are right with God. So I pray that uh, we would all go in the power of the Holy Spirit as we leave this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have sent us the Holy Spirit, that it is no longer waiting time. We are, we are no longer waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. He has come, and we know that because those who have believed in your word have been changed by the Spirit. We know the truth because you have revealed it to us. And so, Father, equip us, give us the courage to go tell the good news to everybody, to our neighbors, to our enemies, to our co-workers, to our families, that the good news of Jesus Christ changed our lives. And because it changed our lives, it can change them as well. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunities to do that. And Give us confidence to, to do so. And remind us, Lord, that because this is true, everything else is true for us as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.